This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. For me, McDonald's is a place I go to get a pick-me-up when I'm feeling down, and the people that make that possible are McDonald's great crew members. Whether they're remembering your usual order or providing fast and friendly service, a huge thanks to McDonald's crew members for making everyone's McDonald's visits special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. A world without beauty. It's not a world I want to live in. Well, you couldn't ask for a more beautiful world than this. Here's to beauty. To beauty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Roxana Haddadi. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we are going to be covering The White Lotus, Season 2, Episode 5, That's Amore. Or I believe, as I say it in, in uh, America, That's Amore, uh, yeah. I think is what the term Sounds is. Sounds good. Thank yeah. you. You yeah. can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Decoding TV. I do want to call out that uh, if you want to support podcasts like this one, uh, all you got to do is become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. You get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and exclusive bonuses. We're going to be recording a bonus episode talking about a lot of the email feedback uh, we've gotten. This is a, a great sort of email community we have here on Decoding TV around the White Lotus, and I'm really enjoying it, Roxana. Um, so again, tune into DecodingTV.com. And become a paid member to support podcasts like this one and make sure we can keep going throughout the year. But, Roxana, there is one email I wanted to read on here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, at uh, decodingtv.gmail.com. And the reason I'm reading this one, we're saving a bunch of them for the bonus episode, is because this email, I think, does such a good job of summarizing uh, what the overarching theme of this season is, in my opinion. We've been trying to figure it out. We've been trying to puzzle yeah. out. What exactly is this trying to say? Um, and so Pushali from, or I'm sorry, Poshali from Austin, Texas, writes in to decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, quote, I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I too have been struggling to determine what message this season is trying to send viewers. But this most recent episode made clear the goal of every storyline. I believe the overarching scene of this season appears to be transactional relationships. What do people use as bargaining chips with others uh, who they are or want to be close to. How does money and power play into this? We have that exposed literally with the sex workers and also in various ways exhibited by the couples. Uh, and then Poshali lists this um, uh, sequence of examples. Mm-hmm. Daphne makes clear that in exchange for financial security, she's willing to overlook Cameron's indiscretions, both at work and in their marriage. Tanya's connections and money helped Greg go to get over his illness. Now that that's done, Tanya's prenup gets referenced as a point of contention, as well as a negotiating tool. Albie uses his nice guy status as a means of expecting Portia to hang around him, even when it's clear that it's unwanted. That one's a little... No, that one's correct. That okay. one's 100% correct. Tanya uses her money slash power to keep Portia hostage for Tanya's own emotional security. Bert uses his age as an excuse for bad behavior. 
unwanted mm-hmm. flirting with young women, speaking his mind and trying to get Dominic to cop to cheating on his wife. Ethan and Harper, well, maybe just Harper, use their morality along with their money to demonstrate their believed self-righteousness with others and even with each other. Cameron uses money and status as a way to entice Ethan into investing with him. And the piano man, uh, Giuseppe, I believe, suggests yeah. Mia use her looks and sex to get ahead in the entertainment business and or in exchange for his help. These are not uh, uh, not all of these examples are equally strong in demonstrating the theme, but are definitely within the same category. What do you guys think? Looking forward to the upcoming episode. That's from Poshily from Austin, Texas. Thanks for the email to decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, I really like this because once I read this email from Poshily, I started seeing it everywhere mm-hmm. in the show. It's like, oh, yeah, like it, every one of these relationships is like transactional in some way, some of them weaker than others. But right. uh but yeah, viewed through this lens, I feel like it's a really strong way of, of talking about season two of The White Lotus. What do you think, Roxana? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think this tracks. I, I thought that we had talked about it or maybe yes. I imagined no, that I think we, we mentioned we, we, we mentioned it a little bit, but like. Yeah. But this but like, way of like yeah. laying it out, I think is very comprehensive. I think that for some of those examples, I wonder if that is uh, transactionality versus just like personal justification of their behavior like i think with like bert i don't know how much bert is initiating transactionality so much as he is hiding sort of behind the like generational divide Mm -hmm. um but certainly for harper ethan cam and daphne certainly for tanya and greg and i also think in sort of an ominous i don't know potentially ominous way uh, in some of the new relationships that we see forming in this fifth episode. Um, if only because like you played a clip of Quentin and I don't know, Quentin's end game is very confusing to me. So I'm like, what, what is happening here? And what does he want from Tanya? And what is Tanya willing to give? And I just have a lot of questions. <laughs> I have some thoughts. To that I have some line. thoughts. We can, we can get to it when, yeah. we, uh, when we get to that yeah. part. But, but that was a great email. I mean, all the emails have been really intriguing. So yeah, I've thanks so much that feedback. Uh, to to email in at decodingtv at gmail.com. And, and we will be reading a bunch more emails uh, on our Decoding TV bonus episode we're publishing this week at decodingtv.com. Okay. Roxana Haddadi, let's get to season two, episode five. That's Amore, which uh, we have watched. We're going to spoil everything through this week's episode. We're not going to spoil anything in future week's episodes. Um, what did you think overall of this episode? I uh, I thought this episode was an interesting turning point for a lot of the relationships that we've already seen. I think that some of the stuff I've been a little frustrated with is beginning to pay off in some interesting ways, uh, but I still am a little skeptical of the sex worker subplot. So some of the stuff I'm really sort of intrigued by like we mentioned, Quentin and Tanya, I'm sort of intrigued by what's happening with Harper and Ethan. It continues to be messy, I think, in a fascinating way. Um, but some of the stuff that Mia does this episode, I was just like, why Why is this happening? And my notes to you were a bunch of question marks. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you? Again, uh Similar to what we discussed last week, the Cam, Daphne, Harper, Ethan stuff continues to be really interesting to me. Probably because, like, those are the people that I, quote-unquote, relate with the most in the sense of, like, 
I, I have hung out with people like that, or I see certain characteristics of mine in some of them, you know, like, um, and, and I find that this plot line, that dynamic is captured really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really enjoying that part. Uh, Quinn's a big question mark. You know, I, I don't know how well the show is deploying Jennifer Coolidge this season. I agree. Um, I saw uh, a, a colleague of mine, Brian Roan, say like, Jennifer Connelly is basically like a spice that you need to use judiciously. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that she's been used judiciously this season. You know, like, Jennifer Coolidge, right? Not oh, sorry, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Jennifer Coolidge, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, who plays Tanya in this, this uh, season? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Albie Dom Burt storyline, like, I am, I do think that's a little bit more interesting. You know, I continue to think you and everyone, I, I mean, okay, can I, can I offer a little bit of behind the scenes? No. Um, view of this podcast is, no. Mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we both got screeners for the, the show. Like we mm-hmm. both, uh, were able to access the episodes in advance mm-hmm. and, uh, Roxana actually watched uh, all the episodes before we'd even recorded a single episode of this podcast. She has been exceptionally good at not giving away any spoilers. And like you, you're, you've done a good job of like putting yourself in the mindset of what you were when you watched that episode. I found, um, except when you were like ragging so hard on Albie, I was like, okay, Roxana has to know that Albie did some horrifying thing. No, in no. episode five that like, she know, you know, Mm-mm. but it's like, no, we got to the end of episode five and like nothing, you know, it's just the same old yeah. Albie. I, here's what I'm going to say about Albie. I think the show has extremely overestimated how much we want to see Albie have sex. That That's is interesting. That is something I will say about the White Lotus season two. Um, and, you know, good for him. I'm glad he's uh, getting some. But it's just like, eh, I I really don't think it needed to be as graphic and extensive. But that's me personally. Um, you, It sounds like you actually were a fan of it. So, Well, no, my flip side point of that is that mm-hmm. I think the show is just using the sex workers for the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not seeing the other people really do that. Like, mm-hmm. Tanya and Greg, it was interrupted certainly harper and ethan have not i don't even think we've seen cam and daphne have sex Mm -hmm. um but all of the sexual content is just coming from the sex workers and again i think there is something well there's a sex scene in this episode that we don't know if it's a sex worker or not but yeah um sure (laughs) i think that's Mm. something we can discuss later But yeah, I'm sorry. Albie's actually been terrible from the beginning. That was not a tell on my mm-hmm. part. You're I was, just I was, I was wondering, sympathetic like, did, towards did this man. Know something, and then she went, no. You know, but nope, you've always just hated this guy, and that's fine. Yeah, I've always um, just thought that he was the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah. So overall, I thought the episode was fine. Pretty like again, loving the cam, uh, Daphne Harper, Ethan Storyland. Also, the Albie Bert Dominic stuff. You know, I think what's interesting about the Albie Burt Dominic stuff is like you're seeing, uh, arguably, the show's trying to say this is one person or one male sensibility in three different timelines, right? Right. Like, like some things are cyclical, or like what do you normalize by osmosis and then end up doing yourself? The All sins of the father of passed on to the son, but also sure. like uh, obviously, I think Albie is being re- very reactionary to everything that his parents and his father and grandfather have done. And is that 
good? Or is he just ultimately doomed to become some version of this? Right. That stuff and, I also think is pretty interesting. So, yeah. And I sort of think, I mean, I was very sympathetic toward Quinn last season, mm-hmm. who had sort of a weird treatment from his mother, Connie Britton's character, you know, who is very much like white men are struggling right now, like be nicer to your brother, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Quinn sort of like went out and found a path of his own. It's interesting to me that Albie is certainly someone who wants to find his own path, but hasn't really figured out a way to do that yet. So I feel Mm -hmm. like he talks a lot about that with Bert and Dom, but his actual actions do not necessarily sync up with that. Mm. There is a really uh, fascinating exchange that I hope, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to that subplot, but there was one uh, sort of conversation between the three generations that I thought was actually uh, very thought-provoking, and I sort of wish the show had done more with it, but we'll talk about it when we get there. All right, let's dive into the episode. We're going to yeah. start with Cam, Daphne, Harper, and Ethan. Uh, every episode takes place over the course of a day, so it's presumably right. day five of the vacation. Right. Ethan wakes up and finds a condom wrapper in the bathroom that Harper left out, which sparks a major fight. And at this point, Ethan finally comes clean. He it took is... so long. So long. <laughs> As we discussed last episode, he should have just said something from the last, beginning. Last time, yeah. yeah for, I don't know about from the beginning. It's worth trying to uphold bro code a little bit. Oh, but um, okay. I have to say, I have to say, um, Ethan's uh, instincts to not say anything, I think, were proven correct in this episode. Okay, because basically, basically, what he feared would happen happened, which is Harper became super passive aggressive about it. And obviously gave the whole thing away, which is what exactly he was afraid would happen by not, you know, that's why he didn't tell her. So anyway, he tells Harper some version of the story. Um, And I have to say, he looks terrible in this scene. Like he's like, okay, we met some girls and then they were hookers, but I just, I I didn't do anything. I just watched. And she's like, you watched them have set. And it's like. There's right. no way he's coming out of this looking good. There's no good scenario. I mean, already the story itself, the way he's telling it is bad. And then compounded by uh, all the like layers of mm-hmm. like lies or non-truths, it's not, it's not good. Ethan was not – he's not a good liar. He wasn't designed for this. He's not cut out for no. this life. He's not like Cam, you know? No. So. No. Anyway. He's not slick in that way. He's not like quick on his feet in that way. Harper gets really upset because uh, he, Ethan did Molly and invited hookers into their room the yeah. last night or the night before. And uh, it's understandable that she'd be really upset. Yeah. So I understood everything she was doing and saying in this scene. And I thought Ari Plaza sort of nailed that sense of the worst thing you could have thought has been confirmed to you. Mm-hmm. And how do you try to make sense of that happening? I also feel like uh, this must have been a lot of whiplash for the character having been uh, sort of discussing, you know, that she was right, quote unquote, about Cam and Daphne. And now you sort of have like more evidence of that. But your husband's also implicated in it. There's a lot happening for Harper. I agree. Scene. Yeah. Everyone behaves pretty plausibly in this yeah. thing. Um, last week I had speculated that maybe uh, – Harper thought something was going on between Cam and Ethan. I think that's right. like basically been dropped, but I yeah. did legit. I did like in good faith, put that out there as something that mm-hmm. I thought she might mm-hmm. be thinking about. 
Um, and what I will say is you saying that sort of made me think, is there more to this scene than what we saw? And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think the White Lotus does this. No, I, I don't uh, yeah. recall, I don't, you know, I don't recall there being stuff that like we get a flashback and something different happened. Yeah. Um, but I did sort of think that, that like we're getting Ethan's side of the story and only Ethan's side of the story. And again, I can understand the doubt and mistrust with which she's receiving that. Yeah. And, uh, but also like, yeah, is there any subtext going on? Like, right. If, you know, I don't know. I've never gotten smashed with a bunch of my dudes before. Like I don't drink alcohol. So like, I don't mm-hmm. know what that, you know, I grew up in a conservative Christian environment, so I don't know what that's like, but like, um, is it weird to hire hookers and have sex with some, like someone in front of a friend? I don't, I think so. It seems yeah. weird to me. But like yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. this is what people do all the time. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I'm saying like if it's not we or you know you know what I'm saying like the fact that he's just doing it in front of like is there any subtext or mm-hmm. homoerotic tension going on there? Who knows? Sure. Um, but I basically this this episode kind of jettisons that whole thing. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's exploring that at all. From no, it, it has other it has other homoerotic tensions it wishes to explore uh, as we will discuss later in this episode. So anyway, um, not go tension. To- text it's very clearly there (laughs) it's not subtext yeah right yeah um so they see cam uh, Cam and daphne again and they have a day trip planned to mount etna where they will go day drinking at the winery and harper starts uh dropping hints she can't she can't not she can't can't hide her true feelings so she's dropping hints throughout the day um they go to mount etna um harper starts drinking a lot Cam and Daphne are just making out all day. It's extremely uncomfortable. And by the way, let me just put this out there. Like, here's here's where I kind of like disconnect from the show is uh I would not be hanging out with these people anymore. Like if they you I know agree. Saying? like I, I would have figured out a way to be, hey, vacation's over. We're done or hey, um, I think we should do vacation like on our own now. There's no way I'd be like yeah. if I was on either side of the Ethan Harper situation, like if my spouse had told me, Hey, I did Molly and had sex with a gigolo last night or whatever, you know, like I'd be like, okay, that's we'll deal with that, but like we're not hanging out with those folks anymore. Like right. we're not we're not gonna have breakfast and go to Mount Etna. Today. No, I like, I completely agree. That part of it <laughs> then crosses over into something implausible. Because yes. it is not it is not clear to me what would make Harper want to do this unless mm. it is just like pettiness and uh potential revenge against Ethan, which I think we might sort of be setting up a little bit like with where this storyline goes but i completely agree and ethan has told her hey he wanted me to inside trade like i get (laughs) like i totally understand the personal messiness that they're going through Mm -hmm. but i don't know why you wouldn't just take a day to be like hey we need a time out from the two of them even if we're not spending the day together we don't want to be around them. Uh, but I guess that would make good TV. I it would know. make for a good TV show. But it's also like part of the reason why a show like this is good is because it can plausibly depict these kind of relationship dynamics. Um, like this is the thing that it is supposed to be nailing. Right. Um, it's one thing if it's like, why did the person make the decision to hang on to the bomb detonator? You know, like it's like, okay, like that's for the plot. But like for this, it's like, that's the meat of the show mm-hmm. is 
is the relationship. So it's a little, it is a little bit weird, but I think you're, you're bringing up a good point, which is she wants to get her revenge. She brings up like very uncomfortable topics of conversation. Who did you have sex with? Do you ever have a threesome? That kind of stuff at Mm -hmm. at, uh, the winery. Uh, Cam, I I love how Cam and Daphne are like always kind of like not even passive aggressive, just no, uh, just like dissing on Ethan and Harper, like, like offhandedly They're so like good oh, yeah. at it without different even dating. trying oh, we, we didn't even we didn't really compete for the same girl i mean different dating pools you know like mm-hmm. so it's like okay mm-hmm. um and for ethan ethan tries to sort yeah. of get some digs in because ethan is also angry i mean a lot of this subplot is dominated by harper's feelings and aubrey plaza's performance but ethan is also pissed and i think he tries his best but he just cannot keep up with how we've seen Harper to be, which is that like she will not let something drop and how we've seen Cam to be, which is that he won't be one upped. And I think those two very like competitive energies Mm -hmm. are going to crash at some point. Yeah. And he calls them out on it at, you know, at the winery and that's cool. Um, But then they, uh, they, Cam is like, what's up? You told her, didn't you? And then Ethan's like, dude, you left a condom there. Like, what was I supposed to do? And And then, to his credit, Cam understands Ethan had no other options at that point. Right. right? Like, right. So that's the only positive thing I'll say about Cam this episode. But um, they go to dinner. Harper starts getting drunk and revealing way too much about their relationship. And then I think Cam uh, touches her leg at some point. I think he touches her leg. Yeah. I, Which is just I, like, what? Okay, whatever. You know, that's fine. Yeah. But, well, let's preface this by saying that, like, Harper at this point is talking about herself. Mm-hmm. Harper mentions that like she had a threesome in college. She uh, quote unquote used to be fun. Daphne asks her if she was a good girl or a bad girl. There's almost like a sort of uh, flirtatious vibe between all three of them a little bit. And with Daphne and Harper, I sort of get it because I think Daphne thinks now we're friends. We sort of shared some secrets together. And these are some questions that I can ask you in that way that uh, women can sometimes ask these questions of each other and has a little bit of a flirtatious energy. Um, But yeah, I think Cam touches her ankle Mm -hmm. under the table. And, uh, and then she sort of like raises her eyebrow at him. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) May, you know, I have always thought of Harper as just having outright contempt for Cam. Yeah. Um, And so if Cam touches her and she's into it, Maybe she's going to try to get revenge. Maybe, Maybe. there's a side of, side of Harper that we haven't seen before. Those are the things, the, the possibilities that come to mind when I see that. So Yeah. And Ethan notices, I think. Mm-hmm. He at least notices yeah. Harper's reaction yeah. to Cam. Um, so again, it sort of becomes that question of, does Ethan do anything? Does Harper do anything? I don't, I don't know. And again, we get the sense that Daphne knows that cam sort of messes around but has her own way of dealing with it so i don't know if that conversation was placed there to sort of be another sign like maybe harper will attempt to do something with cam because she thinks like daphne like doesn't really care mm-hmm. i don't know but the energy I, is odd. Well, i love that scene i love that scene let's talk a little bit about that scene so you're talking yeah. about after the dinner there's a scene where uh daphne and Har- harper comes to daphne and says hey i think something happened while we yeah. are gone. Yeah. And I think at this point, Harper still suspects that maybe Ethan did something untoward at this point. Mm-hmm. You know? So she's like, I think something happened. And then the way Megan Fahey d- 
delivers the the dialogue in this scene i thought was really good and chilling yeah, yeah. um yeah. she said you know she says like i'm sure if it was something like if something happened it wasn't a big deal you know and right. it's it's just like really like oof like all the so, compartmentalization under there lurking right and then yeah and then she uh and then she does two other things she says you know i spend a lot of time with my personal trainer um sometimes even more than cam and like implying that she sees something then she hands uh harper the phone right and it's like here's a photo of my personal trainer and it's just a photo of her kids right and and then she's like this is uh, just a photo of your kids and she's like oh silly me you know like but she's just not doing it in an over the top way she's like playing it off like she actually made a mistake uh and at first i was like when i watched the scene twice at first i was like confused i was like what is going on here but i think what she was saying what daphne was saying in the scene was like this is why i stay in this arrangement was mm-hmm. like we have children have, together we have children and i'm not going to just leave them or blow this all up that's kind of right how I interpret it, but like Megan Fahey played it in such an ambiguous way. I, I liked it. You know, yeah. she's just like, it was, it was weird. What'd when you think of the I, scene? When I got the screener for it, they had not put in the image for the photo. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a green screen. And so that was, you know, you sort of have to imagine what it's going to be. And then when she says like, it's my kids, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that was a little, that was a little uh, extra imagination on my part. But oh. yeah. And I also think that, earlier the only time that harper has seemed sort of moved by their relationship or a moment where she actually believes that they have like a bond is when daphne was talking about like her difficult labor so i also think it's sort of a reminder of like this is bigger than us um and it was it was sly on daphne's part i think she's way more cunning as a character than the show initially wanted you to think agreed Um, completely yeah so i just i don't i don't know and again i sort of keep going back to the opening scene where she was very bubbly and like you'll love it here and i'm like what if this woman (laughs) what if she kills harper cam and ethan what if i don't know so i guess like what we do know is that by the end of a trip daphne is still like at least somewhat happy on the trip right so like yeah yeah um, or very good at looking happy, which mm-hmm. she is very good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this was like the kind of emotional highlight of the episode for me was mm-hmm. her handing her the phone and being a photo of her. This is such a weird thing to do. It's just like a weird thing to do. Of like, here's the the guy I'm having sex with on the side, and it's a photo of the kids. It's like, right. huh? Uh, it's just a weird. You know, it's it took me off guard so much, and I, I like it when a show can do that. So, do you think that? That was to mean that she's not having sex with a guy on the side. No, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think I think she is doing stuff on the side, and she suggests to Harper, like maybe you should get a trainer. That'll help you out, you know. Um, but so, does that mean that she's actually telling Harper to get a trainer, or she's telling Harper no, to have she's, a kid? She's telling uh, she's telling Harper to um, do what she needs to uh, mentally. To eliminate any cognitive dissonance around staying in a marriage with Ethan if Ethan is cheating on her. That's kind of my interpretation. Um, do you know, do, you should you should do whatever you need to like take control, not be a victim, blah, 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 which means getting a trainer that you have sex with potentially. That was my interpretation. So, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I could also see that in a very cynical way as have a kid. Yeah. In a it's very just, cynical way. It, if you have a kid. 
mm. someone who has money. Why wouldn't a, she just say that though, instead of just I instead don't know. of saying, you know, that's it's weird. That's weird. Why right? show a picture of the children instead know, of a picture of the guy? I don't know. Weird. It's all weird. It's all strange. It's all weird. Yeah. Well, uh, that is the Cam and Daphne Harper and Ethan storyline. Now, Roxana, I've said to you in the past that I think that these characters on the show, The White Lotus, would have a much better life if they had a better community with each other. Yeah, um, that's true. You have said that. I, I have said that because there's clearly not great communication going on, not a lot mm-hmm. of bonding going on, not a not a sense of shared purpose going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I bring that up because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, probably serving community since 1965. It's no surprise that here at Decoding TV, we love the idea of community. Over the last decade, I've been really grateful to create communities around uh, a lot of TV shows like Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, and now, of course, uh, shows like The White Lotus uh, and Andor that we're covering here on Decoding TV. And uh, you can already tell from the emails, this is a group of really thoughtful, erudite uh, people who have a lot to say about TV and TV analysis. Uh, And it's just great to be communing with them, watching a show together as it airs, and talking about it in depth. That's why I'm really proud uh, and excited for Decoding TV to partner with McDonald's because they truly care about fostering a sense of community. And one of the biggest ways they do this is through their wonderful crew members who work hard to truly make you feel like you're right at home when you stop in McDonald's. I experience the uh, uh, community of the crew members at McDonald's whenever I go to my local McDonald's, which is right down the street from me. Uh, and I am I'm just I feel very uh, warm and well served when I am greeted uh, by one of the crew members of McDonald's, uh, typically at the drive through and uh, get my my usual order, which uh, is a quarter pounder with cheese and some fries. And uh, I really love how fast the service uh, occurs and I really love how efficient it is. I really love how friendly it is. And of course, I love the food as well. So whether you know that one crew member who always remembers that you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you, McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Hmm. The whole time you were saying that, I was like, I could really go for a McDonald's apple pie. Indeed. Like right now. I went to McDonald's in Hawaii. And oh. they had a, They had like a, a coconut pie. Oh, uh, which was really delicious. It sounds delicious. Um, so yeah, um, was it like uh, coconut cream? Yeah, I think so. I think oh it's a hop- hopia, hopia pie, I believe. Yeah, oh. and it was awesome. Um, highly recommend if you ever have a chance to go to McDonald's in Hawaii. So highly recommend travel to Hawaii for a coconut McDonald's pie. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying you shouldn't. All right, let's get to the rest of the episode, Roxana Hadati. Yes, let's do it. A couple of other plot lines, obviously. Uh, the Tanya and Quentin, Jack and Porsche storyline. Uh, we begin with Jack naked in Porsche's bed. They had sex right. the previous night. Uh, Tanya calls Porsche to tell her about the trip to Palermo and telling her to bring cute things. Um, and we get some more dialogue between the two of them. Tanya says she wants to get her marriage to Greg annulled. She makes reference to the events of season one of the white Lotus. Yeah. Uh, and how like, Oh, I should have spent more time there, you know, with Belinda, the girl from Maui. But uh, also wonders if maybe she put a curse on her. And I don't even think she says Belinda ever. I don't remember Correct. if she says the name. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Portia's leaving. She runs into Albie and they have an awkward conversation because why wouldn't it be awkward? Because it was really weird the night before. Yeah. And 
I, I talked to you about this on off the air, Roxana, but like one of you know, the White Lotus, I, I'm really enjoying this season, but one of the things that's mm-hmm. unrealistic to me about it is like how much meeting of other people is going on at mm-hmm. uh, at these hotels. Like uh, I, I have had a rare occasion to visit a hotel or a resort like this. And um, typically people go there because they're doing their own thing. You know, um, right. you can like have drinks with someone, but it's it's quite rare to like strike up a friendship with someone at one of these things. And, you know, maybe everyone's striking up friendships all the time. I, I am generally like a pretty outgoing person in this situation. Um, but it's like people are, people are just doing their own thing. Uh, and it's kind of weird. It, I like how this conversation captured this, like, Hey, uh, we're probably never going to see each other again after this, you know, ever and like ever. in so life, have a good life, you know? And it's just like, mm-hmm. you're, you're just passing through and you happen to intersect and it didn't work out very well. Um, so I appreciated how awkward it was and how it like recognized that fact. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on, uh, this scene? It was awkward. I mean, I think that was, you know, I think that that was the uh, goal was to sort of remind you of, again, if we want to go back to that transactional theme, remind you of the fact that like they didn't really have anything in common, right? Like Albie and Portia Mm -hmm. were not really friends. It was a way for each of them to sort of spend time uh, without the people that they didn't want to spend time with on this trip. And sort of the uh, the hourglass of time that they needed to do that is now over, and they depart. <laughs> Beautifully said, Roxana. Yeah. Wow, very poetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. About the Albi um, Portia storyline. So uh, Portia and Tanya go on the boat. Right. Portia and Jack have sex. More sex. Uh, Good for them. We get some details from Quentin, you know, about, he's like, I, I really think it'll be nice for him to have someone his own age to play with. Um, and yeah. Interesting wording. Interesting wording. Indeed. Uh, Quentin's father apparently left him the villa they're traveling to, which has a lot of upkeep costs. Uh, but they arrive at Palermo, uh, and Portia and Tanya talk about how good it is to, uh, be in the presence of a rich person. Tanya says like, it's good. It's a good feeling when you realize someone has money because then you don't worry about them wanting yours End quote. Um, this is a very similar theme to succession. I think, you know, one mm-hmm. of the things that's like true of that show is you can never tell if someone in the, if you're in that world, you can never tell if someone actually likes you or if they just want something that you have or, uh, and I think, you know, in that moment, that's, that's the moment in the show, the white Lotus, when I had the maximum sympathy for Tanya, you know? interesting yeah i uh yeah you huh. did not have the same we are having like opposite reactions for virtually everything but yeah you did I know not have that are. reaction we are yes i had the opposite reaction where i was like this selfish <laughs> and i'll leave it at that but yeah. it's interesting that you thought of succession because i think in succession like everybody is already at this baseline level of wealth and mm-hmm. so sometimes the wealth almost feels ancillary to me like the power mm-hmm. is what's important here uh in a succession universe um but yeah it's this... more it's more like a succession season one stuff when like yeah. you, you, yes. when kendall was like hanging out with more people that weren't as wealthy as him right um and yes. you really you really felt for kendall because he's like you you know you don't know he can't tell who his real friends are basically sure you know? and that's that's kind of what uh it reminded me of that idea um uh and and uh anyway but it's cool that we had different reactions to that so um okay so the quentin and tanya go to the opera 
it's beautiful. Like the, the yeah. structure is beautiful. And um, Tanya asks whether a woman at the opera is the queen of Sicily, which uh, Quentin laughs at. And uh, Tanya tries to like wave to her and like right. Quentin's like making fun of her, this person that she just met, that he just met. Right. Um, I was watching this uh, episode with some of my, uh, some friends and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and they speculated that um, uh, Quentin and his group are grifters. Like, mm-hmm. and that's I think why. That's very, Yeah. It, you know, and okay, and so then later, so they watch. I think it's Madame Butterfly. They watch, mm-hmm. right? They go back to the villa. Quentin has this like very dark, serious speech about beauty and would you die for beauty? And he talks about falling in love with a, a straight cowboy from Wyoming, right? Which is the plot of Brokeback Brokeback Mountain. Mountain. <laughs> it is the exact. Plot. It, I looked it up. It's it is in Wyoming, right? Yeah. Yes. So it's like, ha. Huh. Yes. Um, How much? What is any of this Kaiser true? Soze, you know, Kevin Spacey and Usual Suspects, like, right? Huh? Like, what's... is any of this true? Is this your villa? Was your father really an expat? Are you really an expat? Who are these men? All of it. All of it is very questionable at this point. Yeah. And again, I keep going back to the story Quentin told about like a woman who was killed for her villa and now people can go see it. Um, And in his sort of uh, the pursuit of beauty is the most important thing speech. There is sort of this angle of uh, an individual's death is fine. If uh, the things that they possess can then be experienced by others. Yes. And I will say part of me is a little wary of this because I almost think it's, again doing this thing where it makes you ask for the sympathy of the ultra rich and it's sort of painting anyone who attempts to go against that as uh naive or villainous in some way which mm-hmm. i also think could be a reading of season one so mm-hmm. i'm a little wary of this whole storyline both in terms of political themes and also just in terms of what it means for tanya yeah, I think, um, you know, as we said, introducing a major character like Quentin at episode four, basically. I know he's in episode three as well, but like right. properly was introduced episode four. It's like, I, I'm really hoping he has like a strong plot purpose, right? He um, might kill Tanya. Yeah, he might kill Tanya. But it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, as opposed yeah. to we're really going to learn who Quentin is. I don't think that's going to happen in the next two episodes. Like, I think, no. I think it's going to be like he is there to serve some purpose where he's killing tanya he's trying to kill tanya like who knows um tanya's trying to kill him like who who knows but it does seem as though something is not quite all there with him right um also uh i i believe they're watching madam butterfly right and Mm -hmm. uh you actually helpfully uh pasted a plot summary of madam butterfly in the show notes Mm -hmm. um so in madam butterfly uh, did you write this out yourself or is this from somewhere yeah. on the internet? Okay. No, I wrote this. So uh, a U.S. naval officer marries a Japanese woman and then abandons her when he finds an American wife. She waits for him and has his child. He comes back with his new American wife and they want to raise the child together. Um, he's ashamed of his actions and leaves again. Uh, Madam Butterfly ge- blindfolds her son and gives an American flag and kills herself. That's the plot of Madam Butterfly. Right. So uh, any connection there, do you think, to what's going on here in the show, Roxana? I mean... Again, I I sort of think 
God, I mean, there's so many things that do apply. The sense of familial legacy and, uh, again, something we've sort of seen with Lucia, which is, do you want to be American? What does it mean to be American? Mm. Um, but overall, it just, again, made me sort of think, what is Quentin basically telling Tanya without <laughs> telling Tanya? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, we also get some interactions with Portia and Jack. They seem to have great chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to dinner. Portia's never had an arancini. Uh, they do a dine and dash. Okay, can we can we talk about this? Arancini is like at Cheesecake Factory. It's like at TGI Fridays. I refuse that Portia has not heard of an arancini. <laughs> Didn't she? She's like from California. Like she went to college in California. Come on, Giada Some De Laurentiis be- is in California. I'm sure maybe- that Portia. Has had a yeah. rice ball. <laughs> wow. Wow. Roxana, you're not very much understanding for people not as worldly as you, I guess. Okay. It's kind of what I'm here. Please be real here. <laughs> Do you honestly believe I think she has is, not I, had I, a actually, rice okay, ball? If we're, if we're being serious, I think it is very possible for someone to go through their entire life without eating a rice ball or possibly okay. even setting eyes on one. So I refuse this. Okay. Fully. That's fine. Mm-hmm. So Jack does a dine and dash. And again, between the dine and dash and what happens later and like laughing right. at Tanya, it really does feel like maybe they're grifters. Like right. they're trying to like get Tanya's money or something like that. Um, and Jack had said something before at the beach club about how uh, the methodology of this group is that they invite in rich older women. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he mentions that Tanya is sort of the latest in a pattern uh, so what what sort of happens to those women is, I think, a question. Yeah. Uh, perhaps they're murdered and their money extracted from them. Perhaps. You know? Perhaps. So back at the villa, uh, Jack says he has to do something for his uncle, uh, but tells Portia to keep her door unlocked. Later on, Tanya stumbles upon them having sex. Who is the them? Jack and Quentin. Yes. Yes. Good. Thank you for calling that out. Um, mm-hmm. I will say a lot of the the sex in the show is quite graphic. Um, it's mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty. But explicit. season one was like that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know. It feels a little more graphic this season. But anyway, uh, so, I mean, so so see, this calls into question everything, right? Like, I don't, I don't think Quentin. You know, maybe Quentin is not Jack's uncle. That's possible. You know, maybe. Um, who knows what's going on there? I, I don't know if you exactly. Any, yeah. Who knows what's no, happening? No, no, no guesses clue. or anything. No, no theories at this point, Roxana. I, I truly have no theories. I, I don't know if this is a uh, patented HBO incest situation. I don't know <laughs> if this is just again, uh, you know, Jack is the hot young guy that is in this group. I don't know. I can't tell. Um, but certainly, uh, I also wonder. Does Tanya um, not understand what she's saying? But we've seen that Tanya is sort of susceptible to like nightmares and sort of mm-hmm. like the, a little bit of a slight break from reality at some points. Yeah. So I don't know if she is going to like process what she's seen uh, and talk about it. Or mm-hmm. if she's going to think that she was having like a nightmare or something. I don't know. But that whole scene is played very sort of surreal. Um, the hallways seem incredibly long. The sound design is very unsettling. And you hear the moans sort of come in and out of the sound mix. So I, I'm curious how this moment gets played 
in the next season, excuse yeah. me, in the next episode. I mean, it is upsetting, right? If, sure. if Quentin is his uncle, that is a very deeply upsetting sure. idea of what's going on. Right. So anyway, uh, so a lot, lot of questions about where that's going. A lot of questions about where that's going. A lot of questions. Going. We'll yeah. see. Okay. Uh, Lucia and Albie, Dom and Bert. So uh, Lucia and Albie have sex. And then uh, she asks him, do you have the money? And he is shocked. Uh, he does not have the $2,000. Um, How did you feel about this? Because I know we talked about this last episode. The question of what were her motivations here? Yeah, I mean, I still think I was kind of correct as as evidenced by her behavior in this episode where she like genuinely seems to like him, isn't asking for the money. She's like, hey, it's okay. Like, you don't need to pay me. Like, that's fine. Or, you know, when he tries to pay her, he's like, she, she's like, that's fine. So like, I still largely, I think my version of events from last episode still come, like, I still feel that way. But mm-hmm. I do think it's weird for her to, you know, um... I guess I would say she doesn't have a really good sense of people because I think you can tell just from talking with Albie, even, you know, I don't know if it's a different language, if it's a language barrier, but it's like, he seems like he doesn't, he's, um, he's a hapless person. He is, mm-hmm. devo- he is devoid of hap, as you sure. might say. And sure. so uh, the idea that he understands what this arrangement is, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that, like, she should have made the terms, like, clear up front. See, it's so uh, interesting a, because do you not think that she was like playing on his innocence to get paid? May you know what? Let's uh, let's wait a couple. Let's wait an episode or two because like there's a whole scene where she has a disagreement with someone who might be her pimp. I think I don't know. Yeah, right. Or an ex, an ex, or something. Who knows I, what that is? Right. I don't know what that is. And again, she keeps talking of... about this guy that she owes money to, but is like, is that right. a real person or is right. you know? So right. it's hard to know what she's what her real game is. It's not, I struggle with this so much because I don't necessarily want to say it's not Mm well-written. There's clearly some level of ambiguity that we are supposed to have as the viewer. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, I think we didn't really get a sense of who Lucia and Mia were before they came to the resort. So I cannot tell how much of their behavior is sort of a genuine character shift and how much of it is because the plot right. wants them to go in certain places? This um, is this is a problem, right? We're like you don't, right. we don't know what we're looking at. Are we watching right. Lucia play off, like prey on this guy, right? Are right. we watching her actually, you know, have a misunderstanding with this guy, or and we actually develop in- feelings for right. him? Exactly. Like, yeah, right. what are we, what are we watching? We don't know yet, right? And I right. think by the end of the season, we'll have a clear idea. But this is the kind of. Um, some of the challenges with like some of these character, uh, mm-hmm. some of these characters. Here's what I will also say: we didn't mention this uh, earlier when we talked about Cam as well, but you know, Cam seems to have trouble getting the money, or he hasn't been able to get the money. Right. Also, Has very not possible that yet. Cam. Yeah. Also, very possible that Cam and Harper are grifters to some degree. I mean, I, we know for a Cam fact. Cam and Daphne, he, you mean? Yeah. Sorry, Cam yeah. and Daphne are, are grifters because because it's like, does he have the money at all? You know, like was this is this a thing where uh, what went through my mind is like. Maybe Cam's kind of one of these Bernie Madoff types where, like, his whole empire is built off of lies. Where, like, well, Daphne does mention Bernie, 
right? She mentions, mm-hmm. yeah, let me be clear, not my beloved Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Madoff. Um, <laughs> she does mention that uh, Bernie Madoff types are like the really bad yeah, guys. Yeah, he's like, she's not, he's not like, Kim is not like that, you know, yeah. is what, what she says. But... I, I'll be honest, I just took it as he was going to stiff them. Not that he had problems getting the money, but that he just didn't care to get the money, mm-hmm. you know, because he doesn't care about paying them. And he does a pretty good job continuing to avoid them uh, and not having to pay. So I just took that as another like Cam is a jerk sign. And I could I think see he, it. I could see a scenario where he actually doesn't have any wealth at all. I could see uh, that too. And he gets to the end of the trip and is like, oh, hey, Ethan, can you cover us for this right. trip? Because he knows Ethan's good for it. And um, this was like their last ditch attempt. Like invite yeah. these people on this vacation, try to convince Ethan yeah. to invest money with them and see where it see where it goes. Yeah. But yeah. But. I, I do think that's something that like staying at a place like the White Lotus Sicily like projects the edifice of wealth, like of course the the yeah. sort of appearance of wealth when it may, when it may not actually exist. Right. And that's something I, that is something I do think the show is playing around with. Like all these people like look the same, quote unquote. They all look mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Any of them could be billionaires, mm-hmm. and you don't know. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think the show is really, you know, especially with the Quentin storyline, the show is really playing with that kind of stuff. So yeah. Um. Anyway. So Albie's like, "Hey, I gotta get, I gotta get money from the bank. I have to get some euros." Yeah, and, and, and Dom his dad, immediately his dad's like, knows yeah, here's like uh, five hundred euros or several, and he's like, "I need more than that." And it's like, "Yeah, why? Why do you need more than that? It's a very logical question. Why would you need more than a few hundred mm-hmm. euros?" Mm-hmm. Um. At a resort but, where everything is paid for. It's such a weird situation to be in. Like, So w- the the reaction I saw, you know, and then later at dinner, like Dom and Bert see that Albie and They're Lucy together. are hanging out again. Yeah. The reaction I saw is like, it is unforgivable that Dominic doesn't say something to Albie about this thing. Um, and I guess I'm curious, like, if you have any opinion on that. Are you saying you think it's unforgivable? Well, I've seen a lot of people. I've seen people react like, "Can I? Can I? I don't want to. I want to be sex positive here on the podcast, sure. you know." Yeah. But I think it's weird to that. If you, I, th- I would think it'd be weird if like my dad had sex with someone and then like that person got together with me, the like two days later. You know, mm-hmm. like I think it's just a weird thing to have happen. Right. It's um, purposefully weird. The show yes. is purposefully making it weird. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but I guess what's ended up happening is like Dominic in trying to project, uh, this image of himself that he's improved, doesn't tell Albie about this situation. And now like he and Albie are both trying to like, are both entangled with Lucia in a way that is probably going to have some kind of explosive consequences. I would say possibly. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I think is like, is it Dom's place to tell Albie? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Do you really yes, think Yes, I think that? it is. I think it is okay. like, hey, by the way, I hired a prostitute. That woman's a prostitute. But Albie knows her. that now, right? So why yeah. does it matter who she slept with before? Well, he should have told her. He should have told him before, you know, or or prevent. Like, he saw them together the night. You know what I'm saying? Like he saw them together the night before they had sex, so he should have said at that that would have been a good time to like let him in on like what's but going. Why on. Why would he need to prevent it from happening? 
so that Albie is not in this weird situation, as I've already tried to lay out. But maybe it's not a weird situation for Albie. Okay. You think if Albie knew that Lucia had been with his father two nights ago, he would still be cool with the situation? I don't think he would be... I don't think we know enough about him to know if he would be cool with it. But Mm. I just hesitate to say whether it would necessarily be appropriate for Dom to try to, like, stop it from happening. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I just sort of feel like it's... If Albie (laughs) wanted to have sex with her, then I sort of think... Dom's like, yeah, who who am I to stop that, basically? Right. 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 I mean, I sort of think it's not his father's business. I mean, I understand what Mm -hmm. you're saying. I think it would be different if this was, like, a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember reading like a Ask Abby or something where it was like uh, a father who's who was in like an open relationship with a woman and then the woman slept with his son and it was like a whole thing. But yeah. this is not like a you relationship. Just, you just don't want to be involved. You don't want to be in that situation. Like it's just not a good situation to be in. Right. And okay, he could have well, stopped it from happening. It kind of is what I'm trying to say. Right. I guess. But, but I just I. Mm. He could have stopped it at, at great personal cost to himself. He could have stopped it from happening, and he didn't. So I just hesitate to say he could have stopped it because it's like, is it his place to sort of dictate who Lucia, who Lucia can and cannot sleep with? He's not their relationship is transactional. He, if we're going back to transactional he... thing, their relationship is transactional. She has performed the service. Mm-hmm. She does not owe him anything else. I, I'm not suggesting he. I'm not suggesting he dictate anything about what Lucia does. I am suggesting he should have told his son, hey, that's the girl I had sex with because she's a prostitute a couple nights ago. But that and itself things... affects Lucia, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, we, we don't, according to you, not necessarily, Roxana. According to you, like, no. Albie might be like, okay, that's cool. I'm cool with that. You know, like. Yeah, so... but, but my point is that it is an attempt to stop sure. something. Like you said, it's an attempt mm-hmm. to prevent something or to stop something. And I don't necessarily know if that's Dom's place to do that. Yeah. Because like Bert knows and like Bert doesn't care. <laughs> Bert Here, here's, doesn't... What, here's what I want people to do. I want people to email in at decodingtv at gmail.com. Oh, you're making and, like a poll? Okay. And, te- and tell us, should Dominic have prevented this whole thing from happening? Um, let us know. Uh, mm-hmm. whether whether he whether it's Dom like whether the show is trying to say or whether you personally believe Dominic could have and should have prevented this whole mess also uh, um, put into your email whether you find uh, David Chen being anti-sex right now can you also put that in your email wow thank you okay. so much thank <laughs> <Jesus>. you <laughs> decoding tv at gmail.com yeah um, get it all in there I'm trying you know, not, you know I'm trying I think pe- most people can recognize this is a messy situation. You know, that's all very I'm messy. Okay. How do you yeah. feel about Bert basically just laughing at it though? Because I, I find that very funny. It's hilarious. I think like yes, Bert is probably a huge piece of shit. Yeah. But he's gone from like like he has been less overtly hitting on everyone throughout the se- the week and therefore has gone from someone who's like reprehensible in the early episode to like um hey, I'm actually kind of starting to like this guy. Not obviously he's done horrible things and is probably sure. not a good person, but as a presence on screen, it's funny to have a, like a kind of like he's kind of like an audience surrogate almost. Like, look at these yeah. people, 
look at these stupid things they're doing. You know, like I like can that we, part about him. So then along those lines, can we talk about the conversation he has with Albie about sex work? Because I think it's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So this is where, uh, so Bert, very frankly to Albie is like, she's an escort. Like yeah. we all know that she's an escort. <laughs> and Albie says. He's like, how do you, how do you know? And he's like, I mean, I wasn't born yesterday. You right. Know, like he has to like, right. yeah. And Albie says they probably don't want to be escorts. They're just mm-hmm. poor and victims of a fucked up system. To which Bert says, women aren't all saints, Albie. They're just like us. Which I really appreciated mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is, again, sort of my um, Albie, uh, nice guy facade, finding it sort of problematic. This, again, goes back to how I feel about his commentary on The Godfather. I think we got an email where someone said, like, absolutely men read The Godfather like that. And you're right. Like, men absolutely do. But my point more so is that sometimes it feels like Albie is saying these things, which he thinks are, like, pro-woman. But in a certain way, they are flattening and, like, putting women in, like, a perpetual, like, victimization scenario, which is not necessarily... um, Fair. I mean, it's not necessarily fair. Um, So it's interesting to me because I can't tell, does Lucia actually have a pimp? Is that a story she told Albie? Is this a way to sort of like, I don't want to say secure Albie because I feel like then that's not me being sex positive. But it's all very like messy and sort of complicated because again, we're getting this mix of like personal life and professional life hitting up against traditional gender roles and expectations of sex work. Um, And so I I just, I appreciated that we got Albie sort of again saying something where I'm like, I feel like you, you as a character think this is like the good quote unquote thing to say. And I do appreciate that there's someone being like, I don't think that's as progressive as you think it is. And I sort of liked that coming from Bert. The flip side of that is that Bert watches Mia play the piano very intently, and it made me concerned. So <laughs> everyone on this show I, be- continues that, to be problematic. That was very beautifully said, Roxana. Oh, thank and you. I think um, it's a great point. I think that what we are seeing with Albie versus Bert and Dominic is like, is Albie is a reaction. Right. To Bert and Dominic. Yes. And, you know, it, Albie's views on women and gender roles are a reaction to Bert and Dominic. And I think what we're saying, what we're seeing is it is good to be a reaction to Bert and Dominic, but the reaction must have nuance, which right. Albie does not have. Or right? feel sincere. I mean, also, like, Albie is very young. So at the same time, it's like, I don't want to say that. Um, I think it's very sincere. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, everything he's doing is for not. Like yes. part of me is like, this is great. Like it's good to yes. want to be more of like an ally and more of a supporter yes. and all that stuff. But um, what I think the show is sort of what I worry about it saying is that certain things are like so learned or so inherited that you can't change that. Uh, so I'm just a little, you know, again. Well, yeah, I mean, um I think it's he's he just doesn't know much about the world. He's very inexperienced. He thinks he knows everything, you know, like right. And and but I think that I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, like 
um, in schools and stuff like the way prostitutes were spoken about was prostitutes bad. You know, of course. that's how yeah. I was raised. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, but then like, as you grow up, you're like, Oh, a, you know, like a lot of them don't even want to be prostitutes. So they're part of a mm-hmm. system that they can't get out of. But like, but it's like really complicated. It's not that mm-hmm. simple as prostitutes equals bad. And, um, and Albie's coming out and saying like, Hey, you shouldn't judge them. Especially you guys are all fucked up. Like you can't judge them. Um, but it's like, uh, you know, sometimes you can, but like, you you know, maybe Albie is right most of the time, but sometimes you can't, you know, we yeah. don't know what it is in this situation. Like two um, of these things can coexist. Yes. Um, yes. there can be a system that sexualizes and dehumanizes women and essentially allows like the human trafficking element of sexual slavery to happen. Absolutely. Yes, that exists. There also is a scenario in which a woman can make that choice and do that as a profession and it is not something where a man is like manipulating her or forcing her to do that so those two things can coexist and i think we just haven't gotten to the point where albie can realize that those two things can coexist and because we don't know lucia and mia well enough as characters i cannot tell which side of that the show is falling down on Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know uh, exactly where that's going to go. But yeah, Bert and Dom sort of have this conversation about like, what did each of them normalize to the other? What has Albie learned from them? Dom still continues to be concerned, I think, about Albie and Lucia uh, and where that could go. I like the Bert Dom conversation. It kind of makes explicit a lot of things that were implicit. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's, it feels like it's rare to see these two people confront each other in this way. And so it's yeah. like, it feels like a consequential moment in their relationship. Yeah. Um, so what else? Uh, Lucia and Albi have sex again. Yeah, that's right. Thank, yeah. thank goodness we got shown that again in detail. We got two uh, Albi <laughs> sex scenes. So again, raising the question of, is this an arrangement or is mm-hmm. this a potential relationship? Hard mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, he he does give her money and she like acts weird about it. Right, uh, Albie's like worried that she's being exploited and right. you know it's it's unclear if she is. So right. Anyway, okay. Couple of other uh, minor plot lines to to discuss. Uh, Valentina and Isabella. You know, Valentina's kind of a toxic bad boss valentina is essentially lydia tar is that what i'm to understand wow (laughs) okay yes um i i do find it interesting i believe mike white is gay right Mm -hmm. um and and it is interesting to me that like the two gay characters or you know the two major gay characters that we know of in the show one of them is like definitely i would argue an abusive manager or what's, what's the right term? Valentina. Yes. Okay. I think that's right. And then the, uh, the, and the other one is Quentin who like probably has sinister purposes um, Mm -hmm. for whatever he's doing. But yes, Valentina reassigns Rocco. He doesn't like, she doesn't like Rocco and and, uh, Isabel, Isabella being such good friends and Mm -hmm. reassigns this guy who she couldn't possibly be sexually attracted to uh, in her estimation. So, right. Um, Poor Rocco. Rocco actually seems good at his job. Hope you have fun at the beach club, buddy. Yeah. But then Lucia is the one that goes to uh, Valentina and offers her like, hey. Mia. Uh, let, Mia. Sorry, Mia is the one. Yeah. Um, who goes to Valentina and says, hey, hey, if you, if you let me play piano and uh, you know, I can show you a good time. 
because she senses probably rightly that Valentina is very repressed. Uh, and what's up, Roxana? You're you're shaking your head. This whole story just did not, this whole turn. I did not buy at all, like in the least. You didn't buy I, in what sense? In the sense that uh, when we first met Mia, she was someone who was very oh, torn yeah. up about her breakup with her boyfriend. And now all of a sudden in the span of five days, she has become like a uh, conniving, ambitious person able to tell that Valentina is a lesbian and able to offer herself to Valentina in exchange for playing the piano a couple nights a week. It just felt like such a hard turn for this character. And I did not entirely buy it. I agree um, about the Mia part. It's, it's really weird too. Like, why didn't they just start the character out that way? Uh, Right. You know, or, or like closer to that than what we saw at the beginning. Right. Um, And she didn't enjoy this scenario with Giuseppe. Like the way that the preceding episode ended, I thought that she was actually really uh, sort of disgusted and demoralized by what had happened, shaken by his like health scare. So I don't know if this is just the show being like Mia is queer and that's that's fine. But I think there is a different way to have shown that than all of a sudden her, you know, trying to hit up Valentina in a sexual way for a job. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Um, I, I also just wish, I don't think we ha- have spent enough time with Valentina for this. Like, I could see this plot, like the idea of the plot I actually kind of like, which is like mm-hmm. Valentina's repressed. She's like taking out her anger and disappointment on like her, her uh, underlings. Um, and then like, here's this woman that like offers her like a way out of that or, or a way to like, satisfy some of her desires and like of course she'd be inter- interested in that that's like an interesting plot like inherently mm-hmm. um, i just don't think we spent quite enough time with valentina like i don't think she's quite enough well drawn of a character um to, for it to fully land it's not right. it's not terrible but it's just like not the show firing on all cylinders in my opinion and you're right the mia stuff is really weird uh that said we got to hear her sing this episode uh i thought she has a lovely voice the piano is okay that's fine. what my that's what my yeah, reaction it's is. fine. It um, just it feels disconnected from the rest of the storyline. Thematically, I understand what it's going for. Um, but it also feels like such a simplistic way of exploring that transactional relationship mm-hmm. that I just am not as uh not as impressed by it, I would say. Indeed. And that is all the plot lines for the episode, I think. Any other thoughts, Roxana? I don't think so. I mean, I just think that we're probably in for this episode was very uh, not all over the place, but you got a lot more overlap between the episodes. I think there was mm-hmm. a lot more editing happening between I, the uh, plot lines. Yes. And I, right. I think we probably will see that more in six and seven. I think we're now fully in that things have to begin to wrap up mode. Yeah. More plot lines colliding, um, but also like a lot of locations this episode. Like we're mm-hmm. on the boat. We're uh, at Palermo. Like we're all these, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Mount which, Etna. Mount Etna, which um, I don't remember. I don't think uh, the White Lotus ever really left, like season one ever really left the resort because for COVID reasons. Right. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure like they shot it 
at the height of COVID and everyone stayed at that place in real life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they ever really left for production reasons. Uh, here, they've been leaving the resort a lot more. So, yeah. yeah. But I have a feeling it's all going to end up at the White Lotus Sicily. So, mm-hmm. all right, folks. That's going to bring us into this week's episode of Decoding TV. Find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at decodingtv. Roxana, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Vulture and at Twitter. And if you want to support this podcast and make possible what we do throughout the year, go to decodingtv.com and please become a paid member. Get access to early episodes, ad-free episodes, and exclusive bonuses that we record. All right. She is Roxana Haddadi. I'm David Chen. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with The White Lotus Season 2, Episode 6 recap. Until then, goodbye. Bye.